Welcome to Season 1, Episode 11 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast. I'm your host, Wilton Jackson. Today we have another exciting episode for you. I sat down with Janice Davis, a 2003 graduate of Natchez High School, a three-time former Mississippi Gatorade Athlete of the Year from 2001 to 2003, a former 100-meter dash record holder, and a five-time NCAA All-American in track and field at Stanford University. Talk about spectacular. Davis then graduated from Emory University in 2010 with a Master's in Health Policy and Management and earned a Doctorate of Medicine degree from Medical University of South Carolina in 2016. This year, she graduated from Anesthesia Residency at the University of Texas Southwestern Hospital System in Dallas, Texas, and currently works as a Pediatric Anesthesia Fellow at Harvard's Boston Children's Hospital. Davis has taken many risks and chances in her life, but she will tell you those chances and risks come with a price, one that forces you to give the best version of yourself in order to succeed. Sit back and get ready to listen as she discusses her love for running, her addiction to success on and off the track, juggling athletics and multiple responsibilities, life after sports, her fellowship at the Children's Hospital, and more. This is Season 1, Episode 11 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast, Life 101, Taking the Risk and Paying the Price for Success. Let's get it. Welcome to the Red Diamond Report podcast with your host, Wilton Jackson. And today we have Miss Janice Davis. And Janice, it is good to have you on the show today. Why, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So Janice, um, I know you've told me a little bit about, you know, your background and, you know, coming from Natchez, Mississippi, Natchez High School. I mean, a very talented athlete, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I could never do what she's done. You know, I like to run leisurely, but uh, she has a, a an extraordinary background. And I'm just going to let her tell tell her story a little bit about her. So Janice, tell us a little bit about what you do and, you know, and where you where you've come from. Uh, so I'll start with where I've come from. So I'm born and raised in Natchez, Mississippi, spent 18 years there. Mind you, I haven't lived there in 18 years. And my friends tell me now, like, oh yeah, that's not home anymore, but that will <laughs> always be home, the NTZ, for those who are from the Mississippi area. Right. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so from there, I mean, I was a great athlete there at that time. I was, I guess I would call myself the prima donna of the state. And then I was fortunate enough to earn a college athletic scholarship to Stanford. Mind you, I could have gone anywhere. My dad's still pissed. Still a little salty. I wouldn't say pissed. Still a little salty that I didn't choose Harvard, but mm. I chose Stanford instead. Right. That's a that's I, a good second option. <laughs> he, he doesn't like. He's like, oh my god, Harvard, Harvard. Your mother put you up to this, but so I chose Stanford instead. Right. Um. But you know, I took trips to Miami, University of Texas, uh, UCLA, and Stanford were my um, official tr- uh, visits, and then. I always kind of like in the back of my head, it's like, yeah, I'm going to go to the Olympics. And then I was kind of approaching burnout, which I didn't realize it at that time. But now looking back, reflecting on it, I was like, yeah, I was kind of burnt out. Um, but I was like, this is a small window of opportunity. Let me try for this Olympics. So I moved after college, which I finished in 2007. Once I graduated with a degree in human biology, I then moved all the way across the country to Miami where I trained with Lauren Williams and um, Debbie Ferguson, who was like the Bahama Golden Girl at the time. And so that was my training base. I was just going to go for it. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. You have to have to have very good luck and everything has to fall in place when you're trying to go for an opportunity that comes every four years. And Absolutely. so it didn't work out. And so my right. mother was basically like, you need to figure out what you're going to do. Are you going to chase this again? Or are you going to do something else with your life? So, I mean, given my... Um, academic background. I wouldn't call myself a prodigy, but I'm not a dumb person. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go to grad school. Mind you, I'm a, well, at that time I was a huge procrastinator. And so We've I all had, had that face. <laughs> I had prepared for any exams. I was just like, you know, I'm just going to sign up for the GRE. Right. So I signed up Two weeks later, I took it and then I'm looking for programs and I see a master's in public health, health policy and management. All right, cool, bet. But I have missed primarily all but two deadlines, which is Emory and Columbia. Wow. So I was just like, whatever, I'm just gonna roll the dice. I didn't even tell my parents or anybody I was applying. I just picked Emory because it was the last deadline that I could make and I didn't have to cram for it or crunch time with Columbia. I was like, eh, whatever. 
I just submitted an application and they like called me like, oh my God, you got an acceptance. And I thought it was a prank. What? So I was just like, who is this? I was like, oh, okay. And I hung up the phone. I was like, let me call these people back. Wow. I'm going to recall this number just to make sure nobody's like pulling my leg. So I actually got in and then right. I moved to Atlanta. Great time in life living in the A. That's all I'm going to say about that. When yeah. you're 24, 25, it's a good time to be in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So I was living my best student broke life yep. um, in grad school in Atlanta, Georgia. I finished that program in about 18 months. And then I started looking for jobs. It's a little bit challenging. Hindsight, I probably should have gotten an MBA, but whatever. Um, and so I finally, after like a six month search, I wouldn't say a search, I guess it was a six month elimination process. I was like one of six bright young minds across the country who got selected for Kindred Healthcare to be a part of their CEO fast track executive program. Because at that time I had ambitions to be a hospital administrator. Mm-hmm. My parents or my mother more so had always told me I was gonna be a doctor. And I just felt like I need, I'm gonna rebel. Like she don't know what she's talking about. I'm not gonna go to med school. I'm gonna be a CEO of a hospital. Woot, woot, woot. Right. So I get selected, I'm all excited because I'm gonna be making money, you know, I'm living in Atlanta. Exactly. Living my best life in Atlanta. And they called me and they were like, oh, we have a surprise for you. We're gonna Uh-oh. move you to Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, Mind gosh. you, I'm just like, excuse me? Charleston, of course I like play off yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, right. I've never been to South Carolina and I'm not opposed to moving. So after some whining and coaching with my um, support team and someone was like, you know, you never know what opportunities lie ahead. Mm-hmm. You just go somewhere and have an open mind. Not like I really had a choice because I really needed a job. But it kind of changed my mindset as to how I'm going to approach the situation. So I pack up my little Honda Accord and I move all my things to Charleston, South Carolina. I've never been there. don't know a soul. Fine. I meet people. And then by this time, I had already been studying for my MCAT while I was looking waiting for this job to come through. And I was like, well, I'm not going to waste six seven months of studying and so i just went ahead and took the test anyway right right of course i procrastinated mind you so by the time i looked up dates there were none available they were only available in like new york colorado california and texas Uh oh so i had to get a flight right book it to dallas surprisingly took my mcat did well enough and then i was like you know what i'm just gonna go for it and i'm gonna apply to med school anyway and luckily they had a medical school directly across the street from my job. So I just took a sick day and was praying to God that nobody from my job saw me on. <laughs> and nobody from my job saw me walking through the hall with my little name badge. It said Janice Davis with my little suit on. Right. Um, because these are things you do when you're like 25, 26 year old. You just don't really plan well, but you know, exactly. I'm rolling the dice. Like, all right, we're gonna see Taking how this goes. Exactly. So by a stroke of serendipity, I actually got into medical school at the Medical University of South Carolina, which is in Charleston. And about that time, I was also over moving. So I just enrolled there. And I spent, so I would say five years in Charleston. And then, of course, um, had a family tragedy when I was in med school. My mother died when I, um, right after completing my second year of med school, and then going, transitioning into third year as I was studying for my boards. And if anybody knows who's been through that, step one is like a really crucial time. It kind of determines where you're going to land for residency. So my mother had, was diagnosed with cancer and had a very ferocious, swift process of 11 month battle with that. We thought she would beat it, but she ended up succumbing to the disease. And so um, I I was dealing with that, trying to figure out, you know, how to keep my head afloat because they were like, you need to take off, take off time. And I didn't, I took off no time off. I remember she died on a Monday. I flew home on Wednesday. I buried her on a Saturday. I was flying back out Sunday. I was back at school on Monday. Wow. Probably crazy. Um, But this is how I process things. Right. And so it was just like, well, I need to graduate. I need to finish on time, which I did. And so I ended up matching for residency into anesthesia. And I ended up finishing that at my number one choice, which is UT Software Center in Dallas. And then I finished in 2020 of this year. And I always had a passion for pediatric anesthesia, which I got exposed to that in med school. Mm-hmm. And so I had to then decide, of course, I move again, like a gypsy or 
army brat, which I'm neither. Yeah. And so um, I am now currently living in Boston, Massachusetts, which is very, very different from the South. Very. <laughs> very different, much more expensive, very different culture. Um, but I'm completing my anesthesia fellowship in pediatrics here. And then when I'm done, I'll be a, once all my exams are done, of course, I'll be a board certified Harvard trained pediatric anesthesiologist. And that's amazing within itself. Thank you. That is, that is very amazing. <laughs> a virtual bow. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and just to listen to your story, and I know that's very brief compared to everything that's done, that has happened to you along the way. I mean, from what I'm gathering is you've just been a person who has not been afraid to take chances. And sometimes it can be hard when you have to kind of navigate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, people always think I'm just super comfortable with it. I'm like, no, I've been uncomfortable. I just not, I may not show you. I may not tell you about it after the fact. Right. You no, know, I don't like moving across the country and not knowing people and having to start over. But like I tell people, if there's an opportunity out there and I really want it, then, you know, I'll make the best of it. And the right. discomfort is there temporarily. It's fleeting. And then, hey, I'm back to doing what I want to do. Absolutely. And then not only that, but, you know, sometimes, and like you said, when you were referring to the Olympics, some of these opportunities come once in a lifetime in as, as far as the Olympics, that's every four years. But, you know, in, in, in terms of your career, you never know when that same opportunity may or may not present itself again. Absolutely. And so my dad and my dad is very old. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in his 80s, but very wise. I've learned to really appreciate my seasoned older people, because no matter how much life experience I have with education and books, you just cannot compete with life experience. Absolutely. And he always tells me, he's just like, you know, um, he calls me Booger, which I despise, but he calls me that. <laughs> he's like, Booger, you know, you know, luck is when opportunity meets preparation mm-hmm. and you just need to be prepared at all times because you never know when that opportunity is going to come and you need to be ready. So right. I just kind of go through life with that. And I'm always looking like five years down the line, 10 years down the line. So my target is always moving to figure out where exactly I want to be. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right. Well, let me, I'm going to backtrack really quick. So in terms of, you know, obviously it seems like you've always had a plan, but you're always willing to adapt and adjust. So being that you were, you know, essentially quite the star um, in high school in terms of running track, I mean, talk a little bit about that experience. I mean, you don't just wake up every morning and just become a Mississippi Gatorade player of the year every you know from 2001 2000, that like that just doesn't happen well i started running when i was six okay so this is this is which hindsight i probably wouldn't let my child start that early um why not what makes you say that because you just get burned out and i want them to experience other sports uh, i mean my mom granted she put me in like piano boring ugh, ballet ugh, boring the classics basically yes you know i gotta wash my hair every day this is yep yep yep. so i really like i really enjoyed running and so it was never my parents people always thought my parents made me do it but they didn't but i i was addicted to success and winning Hmm. and it started really early now i used to get chopped up when i was about six or seven yeah you're running with 10 year olds so it's just nothing you can do right you know as i got older you know as i'm advancing within my age group, you know, I started to see success. I mean, I made my first, I went to nationals when I was eight. I won my first national medal when I was nine. By the time I was 15, I was making world junior teams. And I'm from Mississippi, which is limited resources. Right. Um, But I was just super competitive and I hated track practice, but I like winning. Right. In order for me to win, I had to go through the workouts and if Mississippi wasn't affording me workouts I would just ask the girls I was running against and you know general conversation like hey what are you doing for workouts and they'll tell me and I would go home and run them right she, she was tearing me up so I'm like well what is she doing right and that I need to know because she has a winning formula and so that was basically working for me so wherever I could I was astute enough even at 15 16 to extract what I needed to extract to get where I wanted to be. And if I wanted to make a world team, I was going to make that world team. And granted, being that you were, you know, young, a teenager, most people don't have that certain level of ambition early on. Like, granted, you reached out to these girls for advice in terms of the workouts, but like, what, what, what made you or what pushed you to like, want to be better? Um, it's nothing like winning. And 
you know, I've, I just, I think I'm just competitive by nature, but when you're at the top of the podium and, you know, people want to do articles on you. I mean, people were doing articles on me when I was six or seven years old. And this is in my local newspaper. Right. Of course, you know, as I'm getting older and more national exposure, then, you know, I'm catching the eye of, like, I was in Sports Illustrated Faces in the Crowd. I wrote my own article for Runner's World when I was in high school because they figured out I was super smart and they realized that, oh, she's a sports editor of a high school newspaper and she's great. Hey, would you like to write your own article? Right. Sure. I'll do it. What, a, what better way than to sell yourself than you? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this is a great opportunity. Right, right, um, right. I took advantage of that. But I mean, it took a lot of discipline. Um, and my parents, I give them a lot of credit for just being open and honest people. I mean, I wasn't a difficult child. I wasn't a wayward child. If my mom told me not to do something, most times, say 95% of the times I didn't do it. Right. Um, but I just, you know, listened to people. Uh, I was coachable, very coachable then because it was just something I wanted. And if I felt like they had my best interest to get me there, I was going to do it. Absolutely. Like I had a coach, he, he started coaching me when I was six. If that man told me to jump off the Mississippi River Bridge because that was going to get me to the top, I swear to you, I would have done it. I wouldn't have asked him any questions. You would have thought about everything else later. Everything else later. <laughs> Why did I do that? But then I got a little right. questioning things like, hey, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> but at that moment, in that snapshot in time, that was just where my head was. I don't right. know where I come from. It's just... Right. I mean, but I mean, I've always heard of athletes like, you know, that, that, that thing that sets them apart. And so you were willing to do whatever it took to get to where you wanted to go. And, you know, I was just kind of, you know, doing some research and looking at your background and stuff. And you, you once held uh, the hundred meter dash record. Like, what was that like for you holding that? But what did you feel like when it was broken? So I had set a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably should have owned it on all three of them. But at that time I was running six events, which is way too much. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Me, yeah. We would do that every, every weekend, which is contribute to burnout. But I set a goal. And it was just like, I want this, I want this, I want this. And so once I eclipsed that, I was, I was super ecstatic about it. I'm mm-hmm. Like I just ran 11.44 seconds as a, I don't know, 16 years old at the time. And I knew the 400 would be a little more challenging because I just, my, my workouts weren't tailored for that. And right. the 200 would be at the end of the meet. Right. That would be like race number five. And the way my braces were set up, they were like two back to back, kind of like in little, um, sections so i knew it'd be challenging but that that was something i really had set my mind to and something that i wanted to do um at the time i was like oh it'll probably be here for a while but then i kind of knew that bianca was probably gonna like chomp at it because like, her coach and my coach are like very good friends and her coach used to travel with us we're all kind of like a little close-knit group she right. wasn't necessarily there she was significantly younger Right. Um, but giving her athletic prowess, I just knew it was going to last that long. Once you leave Natchez, Mississippi, I mean, for those who may not know, you know, Natchez, small town. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's Adams County, right? Mm-hmm. Adams County. So, you know, small town, Mississippi. And then you leave Mississippi to go west to Stanford. Like for those who don't know, this is a really excellent school, really good school. Um what, what 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 was going through your mind to to decide? Hey, I'm going to Stanford for my college experience. All right, my Mississippi accent's about to come out, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you. Um, no, seriously. So I remember there's a such thing called the burden of options, and it is a real significant thing. It's so much easier if you go out to the club and there's just like one outfit, but I have a closet full. It's just like. Mm. I have, kind of thing, yes, it's kind yeah. of like, all right, do I really want to rock this? Do I want to rock this? So it's kind of the same thing with college. Right. Uh, I'm 17 years old. I'm impressionable. And, but I'm not a fool. Let's be clear about that. Right. So I remember I have all of these options. I know I'm going to get in. And so I remember my, my dad coming by the house and he took, he's like, let's go. And so myself and my mom, we all get in the car. We went to this remote park. And he was like, draw three columns. And when he did that, he was like, now I want you to write down your academic expectations, your athletic expectations and your social expectations. And you make these, you kind of almost like a, a grading criteria. And so he was just like, 
Now, when you rank these schools, I want you to rank them based on, are they meeting these expectations? And this was prior to me even taking a trip there. Right. Um, and so I did that. And I remember Stanford had this really long, at that time, nothing was electronic. You had to write it out. Or, right type it out or whatever this is pre-social media pre yes facebook yes. Ooh, instagram myself. right <laughs> i'm dating myself so <laughs> i remember doing this long drawn out application i was so annoyed because mm-hmm. i was like i don't really want to do this I'm like other schools are gonna like just do one little sheet and i'm fine right. i don't have to do all of this so i did it and i remember i had to write a personal statement i wrote it and submitted it and my the coach was like that's not good enough fine whatever mm-hmm. I rewrote it. He was like, no, that's not good enough either. So by this time I'm irritated. Right. I am like, oh, like this is, I'm not used to this. Like I'm used to doing this superb this, this. A plus work. Like, what is, what is this? What do you mean? Like, so right. I got really irritated. I was like, you know what? I have something for you. And so I wrote about an experience and my experience was why I did not want to be a teenage mother. Hmm. And these Kids have, you know, some kids have been on to trips to China with their families and they had wrote about Confucianism in their trips with their families in Europe. And here I was from Little Natchez, Mississippi. And I was like, okay, you want to you know about my experience and what I see in my environment? Right. By that time, I mean, Mississippi had a extremely high rate for teen pregnancy. People were having babies in elementary school. People were pregnant by the time we got to high school. It wasn't that unusual to see a teen mother and my brother had had a child when he was 16 and I remember like this is probably not a great idea so I wrote about that experience I took my niece and her mother's picture my niece was adorable and her mother probably looked all of 12 on that picture even though she was like 17 and I stapled it oh man on there and I was like you know what you want to know about my life and what I see in my environment here you go. And while I got in, hmm. <laughs> he would tell people about that all the time. I was just like, well, you ask for it. Right. So I'm going to give you what you ask for. Right. Um, but I remember them calling me and telling me that I had gotten in and I wasn't that thrilled about it. Cause I'm 17. And he was like, you don't sound excited. And I just kind of like diverted the phone to my mom. She's like, Oh no, she's excited. She's excited. But I was in conflict because my dream school was UCLA. I had always wanted to go there since I was six years old. Here's the opportunity. There's also opportunity to go to Stanford. I'm not an idiot, but I'm also 17 and impressionable. So I'm, I'm, I'm in huge conflict because I have a decision to make. My parents aren't going to make it for me. Exactly. So deep down, I was hoping that I didn't get in because then it wouldn't be my decision to make. I was like, hmm, you wouldn't no. have to make the, that, that. I wouldn't have to make the decision. Yep. And this yep. is my mindset at 17. Like, oh, if they don't mm-hmm. let me in, who cares? I didn't, wouldn't have to make the choice. Exactly. But I got in and I remember something very poignant that my dad told me. My dad said, the next four years will determine the next 40. I'll mm-hmm. never forget it. And it has stuck with me for a very long time. And I thought about it and I was like, this is a very small window, but where do I want to be when I am 40 years old or 50 years old? And I cannot be that child or that girl who turned down an opportunity to go to one of the best schools in the world. And being that you actually got in, and not only did you get in, but you excelled. Like, I mean, you excelled academically, you excelled, uh, you know, as far as like on, on the track and field in terms of the sport, but in, and because you did, how did those four years going off what your dad said, how did those four years prepare you for the rest of your life to even where you are now? Um, so I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say those four years were a cakewalk. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to paint that rosy picture. Right. I didn't feel like I was academically prepared. I mean, I came from a okay school system, but in a state that ranks 50th and the grand scheme of things is just looking back, it just really wasn't the preparation that I needed, but the type of person that I am, I was like, all right, well, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere else. I'm either sink or swim. Right. And this is paid for. So we're going to figure this out. Um, Absolutely. And it wasn't just that. It was like my academic expectations really, really were very different than where my high school, my athletic expectations were very different from high school. So I'm juggling two different worlds where the expectations are markedly different. And I want to pull my freaking hair out. Like that was probably the most stressful period of my life 
even when I compare that to medical school or when my mother was dying or when I'm moving across country now, like nothing pales in comparison to that situation to where I'm trying, I'm 18 years old, I'm far away from home. The culture is different. Everything is different and I'm expected to perform. Exactly. And I wanted to scream. There were times I called home crying, not because I missed home. I was just like, this is really hard. And I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but I know there is what my expectations are. And this is reality and the results that I'm getting. And Lord help me. That's all I could say. Right. Um, but I survived. And I would say by year, my, by the time I got, became a junior, I, was, I had adapted a little bit better. Uh, I was kind of used to the rigor of the coursework, the rigor of the competition schedule. Because every some days I'll only be at school two days a week. And right. also, uh, I don't have a major that's easy. I have a very competitive science major that I'm trying to do. Plus, I'm trying to be a great student athlete. And it was a lot of conflict going on in my head at that time. But it has made me, I would say, a very re- resilient adult. For the most part, like if I take 24 hour calls, I've been up for 30 hours before and I'm just like, hmm. my eyeballs hurt, right? but I'm not physically exhausted. Or if I go into a situation like a cold or something with a patient, I'm very calm and very focused, very poised because of my background with athletics uh, and my background with juggling multiple responsibilities at such a young age. And nobody's going to be here to bail you out. Exactly. It's all on you. It's all on me. Mom and daddy's not here. Um, grandmother's not here. Your pastor's not here. Like none of these people are here. It's you. Right. And you have to make a decision. And so that has really, really helped me, especially when I'm in a crisis um, as far as my profession. You mentioned your junior year was kind of that, that point where you kind of found that balance. So in that junior year, what tipped the scale for you to get that balance of like somewhat of academics and athletics? Um. I think about that time, I just kind of knew what the expectations were. I probably had started making adjustments. I didn't mind reaching out for a little bit of assistance, you know, with office hours. I was kind of used to the my travel schedule. So I knew, well, you kind of need to get this done ahead of time because, you know, travels, you're going to be start really traveling when it comes to April or May. I had kind of adjusted. I was getting along better with my college coach. And I lost some of that's maturity as well. Right. Realize that you're no longer the big fish in the little pond anymore and adjusting to that and stepping up your game. Like my athletic uh, performance was probably like my best my junior year. And that's simply because I was just in a better headspace. You go through college. I mean, phenomenal athlete, but like I said, as you continue to go through the years after college, you know, it's nothing like I'm in college. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm getting the success that I know I put in the work for. But then after that, I think we all go through this phase of, okay, well, once you walk, across the stage I get my diploma like what do I do now what was that phase like for you and and, and knowing that you were an athlete I'm sure you were thinking like well do I still want to train for it to be you know to be a part of the Olympics or which route do I want to go oh again there's the burden of options right there's also being 22 more mature than I was at 17 but I'm definitely where I am at 30 um so it was just kind of figuring out life and exactly what I wanted to do and it needs to be my decision. And at that time, I feel like med school wasn't my decision. It was my parents or more so my mom's dreams. So I kind of rebelled, even though mom was kind of always no. Because I ended up coming back full circle. Yep. <laughs> mom, mom's always seen to know. And I'm like, what is it about them? Yep. So I admit that begrudgingly. Um, But yeah, you know, you're just young. I call it just young and dumb. You're young, you're dumb. You think you know everything because you're finally out of college. You got your own apartment, your own place. You don't really know as much as you think you do. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You're not as receptive to to advice. Um, But mainly my, I guess my thing was just kind of figuring out how to use my degree to my advantage because at that time I was like well I went to Stanford this should just fall into place everything's kind of always fall into place and it doesn't quite work that way in the real world um and so I had to adjust to that and navigating corporate America as a black woman and being a young female 
period, trying to navigate that with my personal life and my professional life and getting where I am today was definitely not, I would say a cakewalk, but I call it like a rites of passage. I call my twenties, my rites of pass- passage. Simple fact, there's a lot of uncertainty. Exactly. Being that you, you, you've been through that phase and, you know, obviously you're still going through life being that you are a prior Mississippi athlete, athlete, what advice or guidance would you give to an athlete right now? Granted, you know, when we're in COVID conditions, you know, certain athletes are trying to go to top tier, you know, division one schools to play athletics, you know, still a certain, a certain amount of uncertainty, but what advice would you give to them from an athletic and from an academic standpoint? Um, so you can always look at the glass half full or half empty. Right. And it really, really affects your mood. And I don't mean to sound like flowery or, you know, sprinkle fairy dust, but for an athlete going through it now, COVID times are very different, unprecedented times, but you need to look at it from a glass half full. Like no one has predicted this. No one has experienced this. And going forward, if you can survive this and make the necessary adjustments and make it work for you, when you do encounter a challenge, it should be a cakewalk because you've experienced COVID where you had everything laid out, as my dad would say, plans, what is it, best laid plans of mice and men often go astray. Yep. Where you have everything that you think, like I'm a senior, I'm a blue star, whatever, five star, and I'm gonna go here and all of a sudden, bam, oh my goodness. I don't even have a season, everything's uncertain. College don't even know they're gonna have a season, gonna have a scholarship. So if you can survive this, think about how this will prepare you for the real world when you get out, because there are going to be a lot of curveballs that you do not see coming and how to be able to make those adjustments. But you always need to think about life when athletics are over because it's a very finite window. It's narrow. Take advantage of it. But when it's over, A, you want to look back and say, I did that. This is my legacy. These are the chapters that I have written. And then you also kind of need to be preparing for the rest of your life. Because you won't be an athlete for the rest of your life. You'll have exactly. a family, you'll have a career. You need to be for just as fulfilled going, moving forward after athletics as you are when you are playing basketball or whatever sport that you want to do. Um, as far as academics, look out for yourself. Um, not to be negative, but coaches are looking out for themselves oh, in their career and they have families. So you always want to look out for yourself. And I'm always against children, which is what I call them, going on recruiting trips alone. Um, parents need to be involved, know as much as you can. We have the age of internet now. Then we didn't really have that as much readily accessible. But Google things, ask question. No, no question is a dumb question because people are 17 and 18. They are extremely impressionable. In their values, what even a parent wanted at 17 is not what they wanted at 40. So being that buffer between your child and the things that are going to be fed to them, some of them great and or an accurate representation, some of them, some of them may not be, but it's apparent that is your job to be that buffer, to be that safety net, linchpin support system for this 17-year-old, 18-year-old young adult who's going to make a very crucial decision because the next four years will determine the next 40. And then I, I want to pose this question to you. You were an exceptional athlete. You know, every everybody's not going to be an exceptional athlete, as we know. To that athlete that's maybe not an exceptional athlete, but was pretty good, but they have aspirations to, you know, get to the next level, whether it's, you know, at a, a tier one, you know, division one program or they're just trying to like change the narrative of where they've come from. Like, what would you tell that particular student, student athlete? Um, To aim high, you have no idea where tomorrow will be one or two years from now. There are plenty of athletes who were great in high school and never really fully developed in professional ranks. Myself would be one of them. You have people who you would have never assumed who have made the NFL cut or, you know, made a D league or playing overseas who people then didn't see that potential wasn't necessarily manifested at that stage in their life. 
So because you don't get a, you know, major conference scholarship or you're not, I don't know, just still call them blue chippers. I have no idea. Um, five star, four star, five three star, star, four star, yeah. three star. If you are half a star, that's right. your star Own it. And if you need to go to a JUCO route or you want to go to a D2 school, the system needs to work for you. And if you work your butt off, you will get what you deserve. And that, and it's very rare that people go to the NFL, the NBA, but I think it's nothing wrong with having those aspirations. And if you fall short, you fall short, you try. But you don't know if unless you try. Right. Uh, you know, but just know that it's a very, very rare opportunity and give it 100%. And if you can say, I, I, I did the best I could, I gave 110%, I just didn't make the cut, then it is what it is. And we move on from there. And you live to fight another day. You live to fight another day, go live your best life, have some family, have a kid, go start a business. There are a lot of other ways to be successful um, than being an athlete or a doctor or lawyer. You can run a business, right? whatever you want, be a rapper. Right. right. Just do and, and it's interesting because, you know, I'm only uh, 27 and it's just like knowing that I've had friends or just kids now coming up after me, you know, a lot of their aspirations are to stay around here or to go to a junior college, which is not a bad option. Or, you know, they decide to go to, you know, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Southern Miss, Jackson State, Alcorn, Mississippi Valley, you name it, to, to know that like when people in Mississippi get out of Mississippi and, and, and do other things, it always speaks volumes because it's like, you don't really see many people doing that. And with you, you know, not only did you leave, you know, Natchez and go to Stanford, then you transitioned to grad school at Emory. Like you didn't just go from one, one really great school to like, okay, well, you know, that was that. And I'm just going to do that. You went to another great school that a lot of people don't really get into. Sure. Like, how do you like I know you were mentioning earlier on the show you were saying like you know I I got into Emory but I wasn't really like thinking about it that much like that was like, that's legit like yeah like I, I like I, figure out like huh is this is this real what? right like me yes because I'm pretty sure um yeah this wasn't really like a deliberate plan of mine I wouldn't say deliberate but it definitely wasn't in the grand scheme of things but you know I'll take it right call a stroke of serendipity but I was prepared. That's right. my dad. Said. I was prepared for that opportunity. Uh, another thing is just people in Mississippi, like, and I, and it's not really a Mississippi thing because I've lived a lot of places. People are very comfortable at home. Yep. Um, even if I've, I've known people who are from LA or DC or Dallas, Texas, and people like to stay close to home, which is nothing wrong with that. But there is an entire world that is available to you and you get to meet people and see different cultures and build your build your network, which is can be your net worth. You'll be surprised how things go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know people um, who can really help you. And I've things I've learned, yeah, I'm a very smart, accomplished person, but it's not always what I know, it's who I know. Right. It has been very beneficial and being open to being uncomfortable transitioning between the master's the doctorate and even going into residency school that's a lot of life in between that you know whether you had a balance of you know having somewhat of a social life to you know being on the road and away from family you know obstacles that you had to kind of you know overcome in that process what would, what would you say within each level was maybe one or two things that were truly difficult that you that you really had to overcome in any of those aspects. I would, I would say balancing personal relationships. And I'm probably telling too much of my business, but whatever. Um, it was more, I mean, I've been good. I've been always been great in athletics. I've always been great in academics. Because I never really had time to really foster like relationships with the opposite sex. That, that was always challenging. Right. Because, you know, you expect like, Oh, if I work hard, everything falls my way because exactly. that's kind of how it goes. But when you're dealing with another human being, they don't that's necessarily not, that's understand not that. how that works because right. they have their values and their dynamics and their interactions. And then there's also I'm limited on time. 
that I can really invest and foster in this relationship with a different human being. So I feel like sometimes, I can't speak for everyone, but when you get to a career woman or busy person, that area kind of suffers a little bit. Mm -hmm. You just don't have really the time to invest um, into it. And I think I just didn't have the practice either because I spent most of my time in the books or I was running. So I think that was also challenging and learning how to interact on that more personal level with another human being was probably the biggest challenge of my 20s and early 30s. Right. I mean, because I can only imagine like if you and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a a a relationship with the with the opposite opposite sex, but just even your friendships in general, like, you know, hey, I'm here in this particular group of years and then, hey, I'm moving from the West Coast to the East Coast to Emory. Then I'm going to South Carolina. And then, oh, by the way, I'm about yeah. to move to, you know, and it's, that's it's difficult. Yes. <laughs> Oh, it's it's difficult because I've I've met some wonderful people that I was really sad to leave behind. Yeah. And that could be like my my hairdresser in Cali. I was so sad when I left her. Yeah. Or I get sad in Dallas when I had to leave my nail tech behind. Because I really I really vibe with her. And I was right. like, oh man, I gotta find a new one. But it comes with a territory. It's it's a sacrifice that you have to make and you know you're gonna make it. Um and while I'm leaving great relationships, I'm also affording myself opportunity to build relationships um, as well. But, you know, like I said, a lot of my time, I spent the last 10 years of my life primarily in books. Like I did four years of med school, hardcore studying, um, four years of residency. So a lot of that, my social life took a hit. Right. I've missed weddings. I've missed... Um, baby showers, things I wanted to attend because I just simply didn't have the time. I could sing you and it'd be personal and sing you like a check or something or give, but it's something I really wanted to do would be there. I missed a lot of that. Right. And that was something that I had to give up and I was willing to give it up. Right. doesn't mean it didn't bother me. Um, or there are vacations that I haven't been able to take. I mean, I want to go, I want my Instagram full of blue waters and beaches <laughs> and I stand on the yacht. Right, right. You know, I want to go to Mexico with my girls and be like, yeah. Yes. You know, I get to do all that because I'm on call. Right. No, seriously. <laughs> and I have to I have boards coming up and they cost a lot of money. So you have to budget. You know, things like that, that I feel like sometimes I feel like I missed out on. I'm a human being. Right. So I, yeah, I do. I feel sometimes I feel a certain type of way. Like, oh man, I'm going right. to go. And it's, inter it's interesting that you say that now, because I'm, even in the space that I'm in now, only at 27, I can remember just, just finishing undergrad. And it's like, your friends will say like, well, well, Wilson, you should be doing this, 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 and that. And it's like, well, journalism doesn't work that way. Like you have to work your way around. You may have to move here. Even if you do move here, it's not necessarily sure that you're going to stay here forever. And oh, by the way, if the job is not the best job, you know, that you're going to be doing, you got to be looking at another job. And then it's just like, I might not be able to make, you know, the wedding, the cookout, you know, the boys trip or whatever. Like, and th those are real things. And it's like, I'm glad it's refreshing just for me to hear you say this, because it's like, when you're trying to tell certain other people about things like this, they look at you and say either A, you know, you're selfish or, you know, B, you never have time for anything but your work or this, this and that. And it's just like, it's not that I don't care. I'm glad you said that you were human. It's like, yeah. we're still human. But at the end of the day, the careers that we chose are just really demanding. Yes. If and, you, and, give up, you give up things. You have yes, you do. And it's like, you don't want to have to give it up, but it's like, you know, at the end of the day, we've had some of these dreams since we were kids yeah. and, and to not fulfill them is almost like, this is, I, I, I can't go through life like this. I never get to go on a girl's trip because it never fits my schedule. Right. I'm like, oh, I've already put in my for vacation requests. Oh yeah. And the schedule is not flexible enough to be able to do that, but not to quote my dad again, but he's so wise. But he always tell me, he's like, you have to be willing to pay for it. Everything's going to cost you. Oh, absolutely. So he always tells me, you have to be willing to pay for it. Now, right. if you want to go on trips and everything and, you know, have a little more relaxed lifestyle, then you probably won't enjoy the fruits of being an MD and you won't enjoy the salary that comes with it. And then if I complain about being an MD, he was like, well, you chose this. So... Yep. 
It's always a cost. <laughs> you know, I just got to pay for something. And yeah, yeah why? Of course, I'm going to lie about, about my job. Right. I want to go on a trip. I want to go sit on the beach with my Mai Tais and, you know, take some cute pictures. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to go. I can't go. Boo. Exactly. And you just, you just, you just there, you know, living through your friends' dreams and living yeah, through their even, pages. Even as an athlete, there were things I just couldn't do that I wanted to do that 17 year olds would do. And my mom would just caution me, like, you know, you got track me coming up or I needed to go to bed early. Yep. Are you still training at the same level? Yes. Yep. It was like, oh, I won't be in town for that. I remember having my state meet on my prom. Oh, gosh. I know that was an experience. And this was before, you know, we weren't into the whole wigs, weaves, extension. You just showed up. <laughs> you, know, you showed up. Right. So by the end of that meet, you can imagine mm-hmm. what we look like. Yep. So, and then you got to try to get home. You cramping up and try to try to find somebody to do your little hair, so you can go to Brahma. These are just. I mean, it it may sound trivial to people, but it was important. Right. I'm still a woman. Well, at the time, I'm still a girl. These are still things that I want to do, but yet these are things that I had to sacrifice to do. Exactly. I'm like, oh my gosh, just prom. Yeah, now it's just prom to me. But at 16, 17, that's a big deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. So where you are now, basically, you know, you've, you've, you've had quite the, the path, you know, from high school to college with being undergrad, master's doctorate, you know, and, and going through your residency. Like, what do you love most about your job working at the Boston Children's Hospital? I love the babies. Not to say I don't love adults. It's just a different, it's a different gratification um, when you can provide service to a child like the other day, there was this rambunctious three-year-old and he, his, we weren't going to give him any like pre-meds to kind of help him relax. And so he's riding around on this little red car. So we got to figure out how we're going to get this kid to the OR. Right. And he's not going to go willingly. So I kind of like duped him into getting on this car and I started making these car noises and I was like, put him on the car and I put his little feet up. And so I'm pushing him down the hall and we're beeping at people and we're going vroom, vroom, vroom. And we're sliding all over the place. He has no idea I'm taking him to the OR. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he's talking like, I'm just going on a ride oh, for my he's life. having a blast. He's <laughs> people were like, vroom. We were like, in the hallway. Right. Get the OR. And I'm like, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? And I like push him in there. And then we put them on the bed. Of course, I had to do my magic. But I mean, it's things like that I don't necessarily get to experience with adults. Right. Um, that I find personally gratifying. I also, you, you, I feel like you have a more of a connection with the family when you're dealing with pediatrics because the parents kind of are your patients too. Uh, it takes a lot for people to give their precious child to you. Absolutely. A stranger who they just probably met 15, 20 minutes. We're going to explain this procedure that you don't quite all the way understand. Right. Um, and to have them to trust you that you are competent enough to do your job and that you're going to get their child back to them safely. Um, so I think when, when the day goes very well and you can go home, you kind of feel really good about yourself. Like, okay, we'll, we'll get ready for the next day. But today went well. The family's really happy. They're very grateful. And hopefully this kid can reach now reach their full potential um, that they've had this procedure done. So that's always gratifying. As a fellow there right now, I'm sure you've probably seen and just kind of encountered a lot of things. Like, what would you say was the, you know, I know you said that, you know, just being there in that example that you gave was very gratifying. But what would you say was probably thus far the most gratifying thing um, that has happened? I, I would say... Um, I mean, you have the you have the little kids, but when you have a, a child who's like an adolescent who's going back, they're kind of aware, more so aware. Is I can't really play the little games with them, right? Um, so you just kind of be there, and you kind of be reassuring. And like I had this one patient who was very very nervous. Granted, she was having open heart surgery again. Mm-hmm. She's a cardiac patient, but she was nervous, and I understood why she was nervous. Um, anesthesia can be very dangerous. Surgeries can be very dangerous and no procedure is without risk. Um, but I just held her hand walking back and we kind of went through breathing exercises, things how I, I would kind of want someone to treat me. Right. If I'm approaching an OR and I know I'm about to have major surgery and there are risks, I'm 15 years old, 
So I kind of walked through that. We kind of went through breathing exercises and it was kind of, everyone was like, oh, that was really good. But I treated her how I want to be treated. I want to be reassured. I want a little TLC um, as I'm walking back and I want a staff who cares. What's your ultimate goal after this experience? Or what do you hope to gain from this experience to lead you to the next experience? Um, oh God, my brain never shuts off. <laughs> Ur. Um, so obviously I'm going to practice cause I need to keep my skills up. I want to do hospital administration again. I really enjoyed that. I kind of like building organizations. And when I say that, like I also have a nonprofit that COVID kind of made things a little bit challenging for that as well. But for that, it's primarily geared towards uh, minorities and, um, minority disadvantaged children in rural Mississippi or Mississippi slash Louisiana areas. And last year we, gave them the opportunity to go on field trips. Uh, one of my friends is an entrepreneur who is a black real estate developer in Louisiana. And so he hosted some kids on a field trip and had them tour and he answered a lot of questions. They had a really good time. Um, also, I was in connection and made sure I connected two of the schools with the um, Mississippi High School Day at UMMC yep. so they can get exposure to different um, fields for as far as medicine there. And so I would love to have like a physical place for kids to go after school, um, especially the places like Natchez that doesn't really have a lot to offer. I call those opportunity deserts. Right. And so it would be remiss of me to have all of this information, all of these resources and just completely ignore where I come from. Right. So that's kind of where my passion lies. I do a lot of community service projects just to make sure I don't have to change the entire community, but if I can reach one person and help them succeed, then I've done my job. Well, Janice, we've talked about a lot. Like we've talked about, you know, your upbringing, you know, being from a small town, you know, going off to Stanford, you know, getting your master's, your doctorate, you know, finish, you know, finishing up residency school and like just, you know, for people to follow you and kind of know more information about what you're doing, even with your um, nonprofit organization, how can they follow you? Um, so I'm on Instagram, which is a public handle. Okay. Um, and it's, at, or you can at me, but it's L-D-Y, so lady without the A, mm -hmm. super fly, so S-U-P-E-R-L-F-L-Y. That was my A-O-L name from a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Never changed it. <laughs> like this kind of flows. Um, yeah. And then um, for, you know, any physicians, I have a organization called the National Society of Black Anesthesiologists. And we also have a Instagram page. Um, and it's full of physicians. If you have children or anybody who's listening who have children who are interested in anesthesiology, um, you can look these physicians up. They are always willing in, um, to talk to aspiring physicians. And that can be found at NSBA underscore physicians. And that's on IG. Stay tuned for episode 12 of the Red Diamond Report podcast. Until then, make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at the RDR Report and follow me on Twitter at Wilton Reports and on Instagram at Wilton Reports underscore.